following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Welcome to Flash Gordon Minute, presenting your hosts from Minute of Darkness and the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast, Brad, and introducing your intrepid explorer of Planet Mongo, Eric. We're at minute eight of Flash Gordon. Eric, how are you? Brad, I'm freaking out because I'm looking up in the sky and there's no sun. There is no sun, but we are getting light by the bright, warm talent coming from Sean German. Sean, how are you? It's 824 in the morning and there's no sun. There's just no damn sun. By the way, these guys don't have an alarm clock. <laughs> if, if you're actually in a situation where you feel the need to sleep in your lab coat and full with your glasses on or hanging down, you figure there's an alarm clock there. You're not really in that situation to sleep in. Yeah, they should have been up at four o'clock in the morning if they're if they're if they're checking for the sun. I mean, what's going on? Yeah, yeah, it's inconsistent, inconsistent. <laughs> Sean, uh, it's it's been great to have you, and uh, I I knew you were going to bring your A game. Um, to tell us a little bit about what your relationship with the movie Flash Gordon is. Like, you were very excited to join us. When did you first become aware of the movie, and when did you first see it, and, you know, how did your love for this film grow? This is one of those movies I can't remember seeing it the first time. I don't know if I saw it in the theaters or if it was – it was most likely probably home video in the early 80s, but I don't remember for sure. It's just – it's always been a part of my life, and it's – there's some things that I liked – And then I really like, and then I love things that really grow with repeated viewings and the kind of movies that stand up to being analyzed one minute at a time that are just so rich. Um, I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't in love with this movie from the beginning, but over the years, I've just come to adore it and I love showing it to people. Um, I'm sure you guys have, I, you know, I, I don't actually listen to the show, but uh, I'll assume that you guys have talked about um, the movie Ted and uh, Sam Jones and, and Flash Gordon and the role, um, you know, he plays there. And whenever I meet – occasionally you meet these people that have seen Ted that aren't aware that this is an actual movie. Um, and <laughs> they, just think, <laughs> they just think that, it, you know, the Sam Jones character who made a movie, you know, the movie within the movie that they just made up for Ted that don't realize – um, that, that what the guys are, are idolizing in that movie is a real actor, a real person who was in a real movie called Flash Gordon. And you get to introduce, you know, you meet someone like that and you're like, no, no, that's not just a joke for the movie. This is a real guy who made this real movie who is just, um, I mean, I think there's, there's certain things in pop culture that define a decade where people know, okay, this, this is different. You know, I think people talk about like the Beatles coming to America and, and on Ed Sullivan, that's kind of like that was the beginning of the 60s. And obviously that, you know, that wasn't January 1, 1961. So like, yes, technically it's not the beginning of the decade, but kind of emotionally or culturally. Or, um, similarly, I've heard people talk about um, the Rolling Stones at Altamont, and that was kind of a, still musical, but emotionally the opposite end of the spectrum as, as a pop culture event. And that's kind of like 
the the innocence of the hippies was gone and that's the end of the 60s and i feel like this this is the beginning of the 80s to me like this there's nothing 70s about this at all and and if you were around i was young but i have some memories of the 80s of of the early 80s and there were certain things like, you know, it isn't like everyone wakes up and they throw out their wardrobe and they buy all new clothes because the fashions changed overnight. Like not everything has that sharp divide, but, but culturally in, in film and music, like this kind of woke me up. This is the, the colors, the queen, the music, just everything about this. Like we're in the eighties now, like seventies, you're done. You can't compete with Flash. You can't compete with Queen. You can't compete with with Topol and the Hoot Man. Just it's over. You know the eighties are here. They're taking over, and that's that's kind of where this movie sits uh, in my heart. Yeah, there was no bell bottoms in this movie. There was, uh, and Dale especially, the the, the hair, the the the, the the way she's dressed. It's all very eighties. Yeah, there's there's no. It, it doesn't feel like a 70s movie at all. And this was filmed – this must have been filmed in the 70s. I mean this yeah. must have been filmed in 78 or 79, probably 79. But And at the same time, I'm going to contradict myself that you know it's, it's the 80s, but at the same time, it's very timeless. And you say things like there's a lot of things you – know, obviously bell bottoms and stuff like that, it would feel very dated. And you see, you see a lot of science fiction from the 50s and 60s and, and, and especially the 70s, like that past – vision of what the future would look like or what science would look like. But this has a, a timeless style that this could be nineties. If you didn't, you know, if you showed this to someone, you didn't tell them when it occurred, if they didn't you know, recognize the actors and kind of tell by age who, you know, when it should have been like, how would you place this in, in you know, this movie, how would you guess? Okay. It's color. So it's, it's after the forties. You know, there's electric guitars and music and stuff. So it's after the late 60s. But is it 90s? Is it 2000? Is it today? And in, 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 I think, Brad, you mentioned it in terms of like the special effects. And there's there's many things about the movie that are not modern, but it's got a style that it's not it's not going for realism. We, we've talked before. There's two things, two movies that I think can have brought a little bit more interest to Flash Gordon. First, of course, is Ted. And Ted was poking fun at Flash, but also doing it lovingly. The, the, the characters love Flash Gordon, and they, they, they love the movie. They loved the performances while still recognizing that, you know, Sam Jones isn't exactly uh, <laughs> doing Shakespeare in the yes. park acting ability-wise. And I can understand why people, someone would watch Ted and think, oh, oh, well, that's not a real movie. In some ways, Flash Gordon, the movie does feel like the movie you make when you're trying to make fun of the sort of movie it is, but it just does it so well that you're just completely charmed by it. it just the description is like, okay, we're going to take a, a, a no-name actor, uh, we're going to throw in a, a, like the least popular, the, the, the least popular or second least popular James Bond, Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> throw them in a movie together yeah. it's science fiction in an era of star wars but we're going to give it a like this crazy comic book color palette and queen soundtrack and people are like okay you're just making this up to screw with me right you know my um, uh, the director mike hodges said that dino de laurentis the producer was taking it seriously and he wasn't understanding why the crew when they were going through the rushes every day was was cracking up 
and he didn't realize, you know, what was going on, what movie they were making, and it took him a while to come around and realize, oh, okay, I, I get what's going on here, yeah, and the director Hodges, his point was, you know, this is based on a comic strip from the 1930s, you know, space travel at that point, it was still all a work of fiction, by the time they're making this movie, they'd already landed on the moon. Uh, to get back to, um, you touched on this briefly yesterday, Sean, you know, it would be ridiculous for someone to build a rocket ship in a greenhouse. So how could you possibly <laughs> take this movie seriously? This movie only could only be made this way, and that's why it's so fun. The other movie that I think is bringing attention to this is Thor, Ragnarok. That scene in Thor, Ragnarok, where they're es- escaping the, the prison planet, the way the music was uh, and worked with the color, and it's crazy. And you gotta get it's something where you gotta give Flash and the directors and the producers and everyone so much credit. Where Thor Ragnarok spent like a hundred and fifty million dollars to look as fun and quirky and uh, do-it-yourself cheap as Flash Gordon because they realize how much charm there is in that. And scenes like you know why would you build? The, Yesterday we talked about how fun and crappy, sciency the their lab looked and all that goofiness. It's something that they, they did really easy and possibly by accident. And now people are spending a lot of money to have the same look. Yeah, the 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 whole sequence of Thor Ragnarok set on um, I can't remember the planet, the planet where the Hulk is and the fighting goes on and Jeff Goldblum and everything. I and mean, the colors on that planet, on that whole sequence on that planet. I mean, it, it's the same color scheme as Flash Gordon. Yeah, yeah. It, they spent a lot of movie. <laughs> yeah. They spent a lot of money in that movie to look like Flash Gordon. I mean, even Jeff Goldblum's character is straight out of this movie, basically. Jeff Goldblum basically is the personification <laughs> of Flash Gordon. God, I think that's probably Jeff Goldblum's biggest disappointment. It's like, oh, I was born too late. I should have been in Flash Gordon. Just somehow. <laughs> Another movie that... That this makes me think of, and you were talking about um, just kind of the sci-fi throwback, and it, it makes me think of uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. And again, I mean that was a little bit earlier, but it's in the '70s. But again, they're they're doing they're not trying to be modern for their time, and if they did, it would become dated because if you do something for your own time, your own time ends. They're already looking back and kind of borrowing an aesthetic from from the earlier movies, from the, the 30s comic strips and, and 50s sci-fi and black and white sci-fi. So it's, yeah, so it's got a certain timeless quality because it's already looking back in, um, you know, in a respectful way. I don't know, it, it's not it's not 100% serious, but it's not parody or satire. Um, it's, it's a, you know, a, a loving homage. There's a lot of love for what came before in this movie and a lot of appreciation of what the, those other movies and those serials and those comics did right. And, you know, you can tell when somebody's doing a parody that's mocking and dismissive while those things can be funny, I guess. I, I, I and I'm having a tough time thinking of one because they, they don't, they don't stick to your ribs. There's no, there's nothing that stays with you. If them they're being, if, if they're mocking it, because Listen, you're going to go to a Flash Gordon movie because you love science fiction and you love adventure. So if if this movie was dismissive and mocking, it'd be insulting to the viewers. And, uh, you know, people don't like that. Surprisingly, no. Yeah, they don't. We're on Minute 8. We get to meet Dr. Zarkov as played by Hayam Topal. And, uh, gosh, can somebody give me a 
or give the listener just sort of a just a thumbnail on 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 Topol because uh, he, he's an interesting uh, an interesting actor. Uh, I, I know uh, Eric, you're always fantastic with your research. Uh, I, I have a feeling that you, you you might know a little bit or have something to share about this uh, this actor. Uh, I thought I've never seen him in anything else. I know obviously his most famous role is playing Tevia and Fiddler on the Roof. Um, which uh, actually reminds me of a funny story. Uh, years ago, I was talking to someone who liked science fiction but had never seen this movie, and I was trying to sell him on the movie. And one of the things I said was, it's got Topal in it. And I meant it in a serious way, like, hey, you know, he's a legitimate actor. And all this guy did was he started cracking up and started singing, if I were a rich man, were a rich man. <laughs> and I was like, no, I... I, oh, I, I meant that as like a serious, you know, bonus about the movie. And then he just completely turned it around and goofed on me for it. <laughs> just going over his biography, looking at his Wikipedia. First off, I was stunned to find out he's still alive. Yeah, yeah. It seems he retired. He, he like had a farewell tour um, as uh, in, in Fiddler uh, that he actually had to drop out of because of um, his shoulder injury. And now is just pleasantly retired. Um, he, he's in his 80s. But what's really interesting is he, he did some movies. He was in uh, one of the Roger Moore, uh, James Bond films as like an ally. Yeah, for your eyes. Yeah, for your eyes only. Uh, which is the first Bond movie I ever saw. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know any better. I guess it's better to get maybe get it out of the way. So, yeah, just not one of the better Bonds, in my opinion. Yeah, but it, what's really fascinating is Topal is a very, 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 very famous actor, really known for one role and not just one movie role. It's not Crocodile Dundee, you know, Paul Hogan is Crocodile Dundee, but one role, it, but it was a theater role. I, I'm trying to think of any other examples of actors who had that much fame just from a theatrical production. I sort of came up with Michael Flatley. Uh, the Lord of the Dance, River Dance guy. What about Robert Goulet, Camelot? Yeah, but even Goulet was more of a re- was still sort of a recording artist. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, but Topal, it's like if it's if you think of Topal, you think Fiddler on the Roof, maybe Flash Gordon, but still, it's sort of like what Sean was saying. He, you know, you describe it as like Topal, you know, the guy from Fiddler on the Roof, and people and people just specifically sing him. Think of him singing "If I Were Rich Man." I think that must have been shown on PBS every year during their like fundraising, because that's what people think of with him. And he played to he he, he played Tevia for decades, like when he first got the role and first sort of came to people to the forefront of everyone's imagination with it. He was a young man, like in his thirties, playing an older guy, and then continued to play it until his seventies. In all the revivals and all the stage produ- and all the touring productions, it's 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 actually sort of crazy that so much of his fame is tied up in that one stage show. And I know they eventually did a movie version that he started as well. But uh, I, I I just have a tough time thinking of anyone else who has gotten that much mileage out of one perf- you know basically one performance. Yeah, and also that the. The the actor so associated with the character and that character so associated with the portrayal by that one actor. 
Oh, definitely. Yeah, it, it it must be a very challenging role for anyone to take. I, I sort of like anyone in uh, Streetcar Named Desire as Stanley. There's no, there's almost no point because Marlon Brando defined that part. And uh, if you if you grab a copy of Streetcar at your local bookstore, there's Marlon Brando with a shirt off. Back when then, that wasn't something that would be horrifying. <laughs> like the movie channel was playing a Streetcar Named Desire, the the you know the excellent black and white film starring Marlon Brando. My wife came in and she's like, "What you watch?" She's like, "Oh, uh, it's a Streetcar with um, Marlon Brando." She's like, "The." Uh, the heavy guy from Godfather is like, no, no. Once upon a time, he was like a combination of Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise and Daniel Day-Lewis all wrapped up in one. She's like, what? It's like, yes. Once upon a time, women wanted to stop Marlon Brando. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. She she didn't believe me. Then he came out on stage. It, then he came on the screen, took his shirt off. She's like, oh, okay, I get it. I was like, yeah, I know. It was crazy. Who, who knows what Tom Cruise is going to look like in 20 years? Maybe he'll go down the same path. We alluded to this yesterday. Eric, I think you had the same thought when you saw Dr. Zarkov, Topal, on screen. What, what was your thinking when we're first introduced to this character? Yeah, uh, Munson wakes him up. He stands up. He gives this incredibly powerful and purposeful pointing motion. Check the angular vector of the moon. It, it, he, he's just the, the angle of the shot. It's just, it's dark, and he looks big and looming, and it's almost like he's challenging someone to a duel. All he's doing is asking Munson to check at the, look at the computer, but, I mean, just, he looks big and powerful at, with that pointing. He, he does, and first off, great voice, just this great booming yeah. voice, uh, a lot of presence, but I was just stunned, because I thought he was going to be fatter. I was just so... See, and I thought he was going to be, like, like kind of like a, you know... Uh, like a Woody Allen, just like a little, you know, dinkus. <laughs> I, I thought there'd be like a weird, yeah, sort sort of a nebbish quality to him. Yeah. Uh, and somebody who would be, and, you know, it's, it's typical in the science, in any science fiction movie like this, usually the science guy is the one who gets sort of pushed around and sort of being the schmuck for Flash. But he, he was a really powerful character and definitely a booming presence. Whenever I thought of him in Fiddler, I think of a heavy guy. And apparently I did a little research in his performances of um, in, in the the play. He actually would wear like padding and stuff to make him look older and heavier. And so there's that. Uh, also, eh, it's 1980, and I've heard people, um, people say this. Uh, fat used to mean something different back then. We're, we're sort of in an era where yeah, people are just bigger and the way food is. And it's it's like, heck, I, I before we started recording, I turned off an ad for my 600-pound life. They, you know, people just are getting bigger. It's it's funny. Topal, I think, was sort of viewed as sort of a portly gentleman. It looked fit and like booming and athletic and like, you know, barrel-chested and uh, healthy. And it's like, oh, he, he's actually a good-looking guy. Um and this is sort of – we'll have to talk with Crystal Beth about this because she is the exit uh, expert on it, which I learned from when she was on Men of Darkness. But we're going to have to find out if, if she thinks he's a sexy guy because it's actually sort of a like a charismatic performance. Yeah, we also get in this minute um, when he screams how uh, it's an attack and you get this thunder blast as soon as he says it. And again, he's, he's, he's gripping the piece of paper, holding it over his head with this like you – know, his arm is like you know, busting out of his shirt. You know, it's an attack, boom, you know, punctuating, you know, this 
big proclamation. I mean, he, this, this is a powerful guy. Now, what I really loved is as he's running to, uh, like, look at the monitors and everything and, you know, check the instruments. Uh, and this is a great trope of movies and TV. Uh, there's a news report on that is, exp- that is doing – he must be listening to exposition radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because all exposition all the time because it talks about yeah. <laughs> Dr. Zarkov and how no one believes him. And NASA, of course, is r- reporting that the solar, solar eclipse has no cause for harm. It's like, seriously? There, first off, there's hot hail. We still don't understand what the hell hot hail is, but it looks like there's meteorites landing in people's beds. <laughs> yeah, there's buildings collapsing and all sorts of crazy stuff going on. It's like I think there's ta- cause for alarm. Yeah, we we've been predicting, uh, been able to predict solar eclipses for uh, a little over two thousand years. So for one to sneak up on us, yeah, it, that's alarming. <laughs> That's I guess I guess that was my question. What was unprecedented about the solar eclipse? Is it um, was the unprecedented nature of it that it suddenly came about without us knowing about it ahead of time? That's got to be it. That yeah, that was always my assumption that they just they weren't expecting it. But yeah, it, it's it's I'm guessing so Munson on his way over to check on the moon must have like flipped the switch to turn the TV on as he walks over cuz there was no sound before but suddenly you know, suddenly the TV's on, and like you said, it, it just happens to be recording on. Um, I guess we don't know it yet, but we'll soon learn. The Zarkov that the reporter's talking about is the Dr. Zarkov we see before us. Yeah, I, I just um, – yeah. did you guys ever watch Community, the uh, NBC show? Uh, only, a few epi- only a few episodes. Yeah, I, I have not. Uh, there was a really funny episode where they were each telling ghost stories – and it was from different genres, and the one character, uh, Abed, uh, who, who was like uh, a movie buff, uh, he was telling his own cabin in the woods esque ghost story. He's like, and then we turn on the radio, but we had to wait 15 minutes because obviously the story that was relevant to our situation wouldn't just be playing as soon as you turn on the radio, and then you just fast. They're sort of like fast forward to them just sitting by the radio listening to music <laughs> and, until they're papering. <laughs> because uh, that's. How often do you see that movies was like everyone wakes up? I don't. Even, I didn't see anybody turn on the radio, but apparently you must have it set set up to just come on at uh, eight thirty or whenever uh, the time when they woke up. Eight twenty four in the morning. Eight twenty four in the morning. Very good, and uh, it's it's explaining everything about what's happening so far in the movie. And although we we don't know for certain that it's Zarkov, it makes sense that when they mention is like nobody believes Zarkov. It's like eh. They probably should. It's uh, another trope of movies. The 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 crazy the scientists, everyone who thinks is crazy, but it turns out everyone should have been listening to. Uh, they've done it in, you know, it's usually the scientists. Sometimes it's the agent or the rogue cop, the uh, Jack Bauer from Twenty Four. Uh, speaking of Jeff Goldblum, Jeff Goldblum in um, Independence Day. The scientist is trying to get everyone to listen because he's the only one who figures it out. And uh, Zarkov's that guy. Yeah, he's he's been right all these years. So that kind of makes me wonder. I've always I, I never got into or bothered to go back and read the the comic, but I kind of wonder what the you know what what the Zarkov focus prequel is that he's been tracking this thing for years, suspecting an attack is coming. Yeah, I, th- I think that that's why he got kicked out of NASA. That he was walking around NASA saying. 
we're going to be attacked, you know, we're going to be attacked, and then everyone, oh, here we go again. All right, whatever you say, Hans, yeah, whatever. And finally he left because, you know, they just they ostracized him and forced him out. You know, we, we've um, talked a little bit about there's been a lot of iterations of Flash Gordon. Uh, I have... I've watched a couple of the cartoons, which are weird, especially the the ones from the 70s, which was uh, very adult for a Saturday morning cartoon of the comic strips. A lot of I, I, my impression of the Zarkov in the strip was he was much more subsidiary to Flash, where Flash was sort of presented as a genius adventurer, former athlete. And it was sort of like his rocket, and Zarkov was sort of like the assistant, and basically a guy for him to like, fl- basically a guy for Flash to bounce bounce all of his brilliance ideas off of, who could seem like the catch up. Obviously, this is uh, very different than the uh, the Flash we get in this movie, and his relationship with Zarkov's a lot different. We 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 have like there's gonna be some fun Zarkov stuff uh, going more into. Not, not a bit of a jerk, sort of an anti-hero, but not a great guy. Um, and you know, we'll have some more. Uh, there'll be more interaction with Sarkov and Munson. So, uh, but this is a great introduction to the character, and I loved uh, you po- point out before him yelling at an attack in the thunderclap coming <laughs> right afterwards. It's like, oh yeah, that's the sound guy was proud of that moment. <laughs> yeah, I want to pick a nit with uh, one of the things the newscaster says. He calls them extraordinary intergalactical upsets. So <laughs> the word intergalactical is not a word that exists. It's intergalactic. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got a news guy just making up words. But eh, all right, fine. The guy makes a grammatical slip. How do how does I'm assuming he's getting this information from NASA. How does NASA know these are intergalactical? Now intergalactical that means. And other galaxy is doing something to our galaxy. What what technology do we have that we would know that because we're having a hailstorm and an eclipse <laughs> that this is being caused by another galaxy? Yeah, they they were they were definitely doing they were using this scene as a lot of shorthand. Yeah, some techno babble there, just trying to yeah. A lot of technical babble. A lot of using this scene as sort of shorthand to get us from point A to point B. The movie really wants to get us off of Earth. Uh, they they know all the fun stuff is not going to happen on this planet. They got to get everyone in the spaceship. There's a lot of, and you know we'll we'll see some of it next week. Uh, there's, and I I sort of get what they were trying to do, where show Earth is sort of bland and introduce the characters and show Earth is in peril. Part of me would have loved. Uh, I bet there was probably some thoughts of doing this sort of, uh, what was the term, in media res, where starting it with Flash and Dale and Sarkov on their way to uh, already in the spaceship, leaving the planet, going into the adventure, because they wanted to get everyone off the planet pretty quick. This movie is moving really fast. Yeah, I could see if this was made today, there'd be, you know, th- this minute would be 45 minutes into the film. There'd be a whole extended first act of us getting getting to know uh, Dale and getting to know Flash. And then we see that, you know, we see them getting acquainted, um, you know, at the hotel bar earlier. We see uh, Zarkov clashing with NASA scientists. We, we get a whole other thing that's just like, you know, that we don't need to see. Just, yeah, the, the movie is definitely trying to rush us along and get us to planet Mongo. 
And that's fine. That's where we should be. That's where the excitement is. Let's let's get to Mongo. I feel like uh, films used to be better at not trying to stretch out the the opening act. And you, uh, look no further than you know. I remember when I watched the first uh, the original Christopher Reeve Superman movie and. Everything on Krypton happened in the first 10 minutes. And there was a lot that happened in that first 10 minutes. But they they hit all the points, sent um, Zod and the other two criminals into the Phantom Zone, explained what was going on, and sent uh, – and Superman flew out. Kal-El was put in his spaceship and sent, a, sent to Earth, and the planet blew up. And that was pretty quick. Then you go into the 2010s, there's Man of Steel, and jeez – it was like 45 minutes of a Russell Crowe action movie that nobody wanted before they got uh, before they blew up Krypton. And uh, it, it's sometimes shorthand's fine. You don't need to stretch stuff out. Although that first Superman does have uh, they got him as a teenager for a long time before he goes to Metropolis. Yes, that is true. They uh, probably could have sped through. There was a little bit. There was a little bit more that they could have sped through. But at least they, we didn't spend. Uh, Imagine if the first 45 minutes would have been a Marlon Brando action movie like uh, Man of Steel was a Russell Crowe action movie. Now, now this video does make me wonder something else of how – what's the time scale here? What's the time span? How much – you know, how much time has gone by? Obviously, so it's not like Zarkov just did a live interview – to you know, to a reporter, and that's how they know about his theories and his break with NASA and everything. Because we saw he just woke up; he was asleep. So you know, and this is so this has made it on the news. Like, how long has it been? We know it started before, you know, some of the unusual occurrences started before, um, you know, Flash and Dale take off on their flight. Is this? You know, is this just from yesterday? Has it been days? Has it been weeks? These the earthquakes and all the other, uh, you know, the, all the other odd occurrences. Yeah, I mean, Ming says in the opening minute, I like to play with things a while before annihilation. So, I guess it's up to each viewer's interpretation. What does a while mean? I mean, what is a while to Ming the Merciless? You know, I'm trying to remember when we first see Flash is reading a newspaper, but I don't think they showed the front of the paper to to see if there was anything on there. Uh, it's also it, it appears that the most recent issue of People Magazine, which is a weekly magazine, uh, had a picture of Flash instead of "Hey, <laughs> yeah. looks like Armageddon." So, <laughs> so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a call that it's been less than a week. To just you know, guessing there, and but I I don't think that necessarily means that Zarkov has only been warning people for less than a week. This is something that Zarkov could have seen coming beforehand, like he knew that there was a malicious forces out there, or that. You know, there was an interplanetary threats and was warning people of that. But the actual attack, I want to say, is less than a week old. Well, it does seem pretty immediate. I get I get the feeling from this little clip that so he's talking about the sun this morning. And we know it's, Monroe says no sun. It's 824 in the morning and there's no sun. So that yesterday, at least the sun was OK. There may have been hot ale and, and other stuff, but at least, you know, the sun rose yesterday and it set last night. And they expected it to rise as usual this morning, so at least at least the the, the most extreme it seems. I think a you know an unexpected or unpredicted solar eclipse is a little bit more uh, more noteworthy and maybe more alarming than just a, an earthquake we didn't see coming. So at least you know in, the, in that extreme, that's kind of pretty recent, you know, to just this morning. 
That's a good call out. That's a good call out. Eric, um, what what else are we missing here? There's just there's just, a, just a lot of stuff coming up in this minute. It, it, a lot in this minute. I, I think we got everything in here. Sean, anything else that you uh? God, it's been so fun fun having you. What 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 else uh, did you want to call out? That's it. That's all my notes that I have for minute eight. You, you, you have a lot of love for this movie. Uh, was there anything else or any? Hey, listen, obviously we all want to talk about <laughs> Brian Blessed. <laughs> But uh, anything else, just in general, from the movie that you wanted to call out? No, I think I think we've managed to touch on most of the main things I wanted to get into, and I think I just I, I just look forward to to the rest of this movie, just to to go on this ride with uh, with you two gentlemen, and just uh, just enjoy this movie once again. Well, it's been a lot of fun having you with us. Uh, we've talked before about your working with uh, Dave Palace on Groundhog Minute. Uh, but that is not your first uh, or only uh, dive into the world of Minute by Minute. Talk a little bit about other stuff that you, you've guested on other uh, programs, and you, you, uh, you've you also done other Minute by Minute stuff, uh, which is still uh, available on iTunes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, sure. Thanks. Thanks a lot. I'd love to. Uh, so, yeah, on the, the Minute by Minute front, I've done another, another insane, in a good way movie. This is Spinal Tap one minute at a time. And I did that on Spinal Tap Minute with uh, co-host uh, Heidi Bennett, who was my wonderful co-host for that project. And uh, really the uh, the creator, the originator of, of that podcast, I just kind of hitched a ride with her. But that's still out there at SpinalTapMinute.com and Spinal Tap Minute on uh, the iTunes and Google Play and all over. And then I also did something that just wrapped up this past December, uh, not quite minute by minute, but uh, day by day, a podcast called National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation Day, where we covered uh, each day as it occurs in the film, one day at a time. And that was with uh, a couple more wonderful co-hosts, Pete Mummert and Christopher Dennis DeGuardia. And that's actually up at GroundhogMinute.com. So easy enough. You go there now, um, you'll see, uh, you'll get Groundhog Minute. And if you look off into the archives and you dig back to the the time before Groundhog Minute, you'll see that site also hosts our National Lampoon Christmas Vacation Days. Heidi is wonderful. Um, uh, a lot of fun. I was lucky enough to guest on Spinal Tap Minute. Uh, that was a great show. I really enjoyed uh, it. I enjoyed listening to it, and I enjoyed uh, being lucky enough to guest on it. And uh, I had a lot of fun with Heidi. She was a she was a great co-host for you. You guys had a great chemistry. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah. And and, and she's actually currently doing. She has her own project uh, going off on her own as well, and that's Cabin Minute Cast, where she talks about the movie Cabin in the Woods, one minute at a time. But uh, yeah, it was great, great working with Heidi. Great working with you, Brad, when you joined us. And of course, it was great. Speaking of guest appearances, where I got to join you on uh, Minute of Darkness, where we talked about Army of Darkness, and I got to do that for a week. But you, of course, did it for the whole movie. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, Minute by Minute podcasting is a lot of fun, and I've been lucky to work with great guys like uh, Ryan for Minute of Darkness and Eric for this, Uh, and it's a great experience. But Minute by Minute podcast will kick (laughs) your butt because – it, 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 and that's why we switched to three day a week because we did been at darkness five days a week and it, it, it almost killed me. So, um, 
this is definitely a much better schedule. Um, well, Sean, we recommend everyone uh, it, it check out your stuff. Uh, we're going to post links on our uh, Facebook page. Uh, Eric, what else you got for our listeners? I, I, I got to have a good weekend, everybody. And thank you, and thank you very much, Sean, for being our first guest and for naming our uh, Facebook uh, fan group. Thank you, thank you. You're, you're quite welcome. I think you, I, I told you guys off, off air, but I didn't mention it and, uh, to to the listeners that I kind of so I got I, I'm a podcaster myself. I got involved in the the movie by minute thing, and and I kept a short list of about six or seven movies that were like, if someone doesn't do this eventually. I'm going to have to do this. And, you know, if it means quitting my job, like whatever I need to do, <laughs> just, just a short list of like, you know, just, you know, um, Maltese Falcon and singing in the rain and just all time, you know, classic movies that, that deserve this kind of treatment and, and flash Gordon, this was on that list. I put this movie up there with, with some of those other greats. So, you know, thank you guys for, for um, allowing me to be involved. I think I, um, I think I threatened to come to your homes <laughs> you didn't offer me a guest spot. So, so, um, so thank you for paying the ransom. I will return your, your loved ones and family members after we finish recording. But so, but not just, not just thank you for having me on, but even if I wasn't a guest, even if I wasn't involved, I would definitely be listening. Thank you for doing this and, and, and you know, just giving this wonderful movie the love it deserves. Oh, sure. I mean, this is, uh, you know, this is my first uh, minute by minute podcast. So uh, I only, you know, still early on here. We've only done a few weeks, so um, yeah. As Brett said, it, it, it's a lot of work. Um, I, I obviously still don't know quite yet exactly what I've gotten myself uh, into. <laughs> we still have many, many more weeks to go. But um, once I became aware of the movies by minute podcasting world, um, aside from Star Wars, which obviously is already being greatly done by a couple of other guys, so that's already taken. This was the movie that I would most have wanted to do and i just felt like you know what i I, i'm gonna jump on this because i know someone else is gonna take this at some point and so i'm just gonna jump on it now before someone else takes it now uh sean who you kidding if you kidding at my kids i wouldn't be paying (laughs) rent soon long enough with them you'd be paying me to take them back is this oh is it like the that story ransom of red chief <laughs> true, quick true story i remember one point um my, my wife uh, she would walk to the mailbox when the kids would be down for a nap and she wouldn't lock the door she would just walk down and uh the, the crazy busybody in the neighborhood she's like what are you doing not closing your door aren't you worried that someone's going to sneak into your house when, when you're walking to the mailbox which is like a two-minute walk and kidnap your kids and i, I just heard her say it's like our kids I can have them. Uh, but, um, you know, again, Eric, this has been a, a fantastic week. Uh, it, Sean, you've been a fantastic guest. And, uh, you know, the, the only problem, uh, Eric, is, you know, I'm looking forward to this weekend. It's been a great week. But, um, you know, it's just a big problem for me because we're not going to have Sean next week. And, and I, I don't know what to do. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Sean did a great job. And if you're feeling low that he's leaving us now, Flash will save every one of us. Attention listeners! Coming up next week, Dr. Zarkov's worst fears come true and Flash Gordon's flight lessons are put to the test. Brad and Eric welcome guests Rachel and Adam from TMNT Minute to bring you our next thrilling episode of Flash Gordon Minute.